you're listening to Speak Free. I'm Ashley Banks, and I'm here with Hero Hero. I love this time of the week. We get to get together and talk about the main events that have taken pass over the last seven days. And um, today there was something that happened, Hero, that kind of, it kind of shocked me. <laughs> I know, right? It kind of, it kind of shocked me. Um, but at the same time, 2020 has been weird, so I guess nothing can really come as a shock. But I was on Twitter and I saw that Chris Rock made a statement. And we know that Chris Rock is no stranger um, to making controversial statements, but I feel like this is one he should have left alone. So he said, Democrats let COVID come into the US by focusing on impeachment instead of the pandemic. And at first, I, I kind of gasped. I was just like, Chris Rock, really? Chris Rock, what? Like, bro, wait, how, do, how does this make sense? But then Hero, I was like, literally, who asked this man this question? Like, who asked for his opinion? Because like, what? Dude, like I told my friend today, I was like, some people need to learn how to stay their lanes. I, I think it's cool when, you know, actresses and athletes, people who entertain, can come out and speak against inequality and such. But when you start talking on politics and you really haven't researched or you don't necessarily know what you're talking about. Is that even politics? It's just like... I, I don't know. To me, it's just ignorance. And it's, it's crazy because the audio just came out of the conversations Bob Woodward had with Trump, where Trump literally said, I... He knew, right, that the virus was deadly back in February. And it's just like, dude, this doesn't make sense. Like, the government of the United States knew that this virus was deadly. But you're blaming Democrats when the impeachment was happening, like, last year. And, and what? Like, I... Yeah, it's just not even, you know, that's even half the story. It's like, what are you even talking about Democrats Republicans for? Right. Well, it's, it's not even about them. Whoa. Yeah, you, you have no interest in running for president. You have no <laughs> I hope not. I somebody hope, said though, so, somebody said that with this statement, this was him announcing that he was Kanye West running me. And I oh, died laughing. I was just like, oh no. <laughs> Stop it. Oh gosh. So that could happen. And we don't need that. We do not need that. No. I love yeah. it. I don't understand why he would just even say anything. Because that just sounded just just so ill-educated. He just was like a fool. He's blind leading the blind, both self fall in the ditch. But I, I'm with you. I love what you said. And, and this is what I, I tell my friends and family all the time, or the conversations we have, where this should not be a partisan issue. This should not be a political issue. People are dying. There is a virus that's happening. There is a president who knew this virus was happening, but decided to neglect his duties as being a president and a decent human being and making sure that 200,000 people weren't gonna lose their lives or millions of us wouldn't be infected. And so like, who cares about Democrats, Republican? I don't care if Trump was a Democrat. I would still be blaming him for what's going on. Like these are lives and as we know, COVID doesn't really discriminate. Of course, it's killing more minorities, people of color, because of where some of us live and the resource, the lack of resources that exist. 
But at the same time, it's not asking, are you a Democrat or Republican before it sweeps in, infects you, and kills you? <laughs> and so, the, to, yeah, right. So, like, to sit here and, and keep blaming like Democrats or Republicans, it's really silly at this point. It's silly, it's sad. And I just think about the families who have lost loved ones where it's like, they don't care, they don't care. They want people who are responsible to be held responsible, but they also want this virus to stop. They want prevention to take place um, so that more people don't die. Um, but I, I don't know, when, when Chris Rock said it, when he said it, it kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And I was just like, you know, you expect Terry Crews and Kanye West to say something like this, but bro, Chris Rock, bro, like what? Oh. So Terry's just been cut from the team, huh? I think he has. I think Terry's been let go. I mean, he said a lot this year. Yeah, and we just expect that from Terry. And we do. And it's... <laughs> we don't, we expect you to say stupid stuff. We do. It's so sad because, not to change the, uh, the subject, but growing up, Oh my gosh, look, look, Terry Crews played in that show about Chris Rock's life. Like, that is so weird. I just, like, tied that together. But, like, I love that show. I love that show, and I loved White Chicks, and I just thought Terry Crews was full. And now it's like, bro, who were you? Like, you were such a great actor. Like, we have no idea who you are. But, yes, we expect that from him and the Kanye West of the world. Okay, Terry Crews was the president of Idiocracy. Yes. <laughs> so the whole reality that we're living in now, Terry Crews was a prophet of it. So he's already mm -hmm. told us, laid down the foundation <laughs> and knows that we're dealing with idiots. So we can't really get mad now that we know what we're dealing with. We just prepare. We have to take better steps to like to protect ourselves from the people that we thought we could count on, <laughs> but we can't <laughs> anymore. And we just take preparations to know that we can only count on each other. Look to, you, okay. look to your, 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 your community people, your best friends, because these people are just doing the most, it's the people, it's not the, the what side of the party you sit on, it's the people. The people got issues, the people got problems. So we, what we have to count on is with each other, ourselves. So this is true. And this is true, but also consider the source, whoever you're getting your information from, whether it be the people around you or whatever. Think about what that person has been producing for at least the last five to 10 years. <laughs> are they producing sound information or are they producing information that can lead you down the wrong path or just down the path of confusion? Because once again, when it comes to Chris Rock, I did not expect this to come out of his mouth. But this comes on the heels of something that Kanye West tweeted yesterday. Kanye West up because it just seems like he's been going through a lot for like forever now since his mom passed away which is really sad but uh it seems like this year he's really been going through it and i'm not sure why his family hasn't deactivated his twitter account taken away his phone got him medical help mental help i'm not sure that's their business but he tweeted yesterday trust me i won't stop until all is fair trust me from nat yay AKA baby Putin. And I'm just like, baby Putin? I, I'm so confused. I mean, the whole tweet confused me, but like baby Putin, <laughs> it was like one of the only things that I understood. And I was just like, 
No, that's not something you want to be proud of. I mean, ask the people over it. You know what? Baby Putin. <laughs> like, dude, are you are you serious here? And and of course, me. I'm sitting reading this, and I'm just like, maybe he's confused. Maybe this is on like some deeper intellectual level. You know how like Kanye fans are like, oh, he's so deep, he's so smart. This has to be like Kanye really digging deep and it's saying something profound. But then I was like, no, I don't want to go that route because I really don't care that much. But then I was like, Trump is baby Putin. Like, you know, sorry, Kanye, that position has already been filled by the president of the United States. You can't be baby Putin. We have one. But it's just so weird. Who would want to be... Right! That's, like, right. But who would want to call themselves baby Putin? Who would want to call themselves, like, a baby Kim Jong-un? Like, what's wrong? Like, Kanye, what is... Maybe this is a cry for help. Like, he's crying out for help because... This makes no sense whatsoever. Um, but I figured out a lot about how the how the mind works, mental health. I think this is times where we should really have conversations, especially with as black men and women, mm -hmm. what it means to really take time to self care, to heal from the wounds of our past, of our traumas, because they they come out externally like this, and we're just meant to to say. We're just enabling this behavior, even by right. What you talking about? Like, he's, he he should be in some place quiet by the water. People <laughs> to help him, you know, enjoy the water and the sunset or the sunrise or whatever he's looking at that day. That's the only thing Kanye should be doing right now. Only thing. I agree. I agree, and it, it's crazy because speaking of mental health, a lot of us. Um, in 2020, this was the most we've had to social distance. This is the most we've had to be separated from family and friends. Some of us are unemployed, and so it's rough not having the funds to be able to, I don't know, pay for your rent, pay for your mortgage, pay for your car note, or just have certain luxuries that you were used to having. Um, and so when it comes to mental wellness, it is very important that we are focusing on Thing, traumas, focusing on traumas and healing from them because if we don't heal from them, they can ruin our future. And so I spoke to uh, this guy who was a mental health uh, like physician or expert of some sort. And we discussed how we've seen the suicide rates. We saw earlier this year, Tamar Braxton attempted suicide. Then we have Nick Cannon who said what he said on his podcast. Um, and then received backlash, and then he was talking suicidal. We have the This Is Us writer who killed herself, and This Is Us is a very successful show on television. Um, and she killed herself because, who knows, but a lot of people are in isolation right now. And those of us that are taking it seriously still um, are in isolation. And it's hard for a lot of people. And so who knows what's going on with Kanye and the fact that he is a celebrity, the fact that when you do reach the top, it's hard for you to trust people around you because you don't know who's out um, to see you fail. You don't know who's out to just take you for your money or just to use you for clout. You don't know. So that in, a, in and of itself can make you a little <laughs> psycho. Um, but then, yes, he lost his mother. And who knows if he really healed from that? Because how can you heal, right? That's somebody you've known all your life and then they pass away. And it's like, how do you get past that? And in, in the black community, 
um, I don't know for you, Hero, but growing up, you're just taught to suppress your emotions, especially for men, but you're taught to suppress your emotions and just keep moving through it, work through it. Like life is short, pick yourself up and get it together. There's no time for you to grieve and cry. Your mama would want to see you be successful. She don't want to see you, like she doesn't want to see you crying and wasting your life. She wants you to get it together and make something out of yourself instead of saying, hey, it's okay. You lost a loved one. Take the time you need. Of course, don't allow this to ruin the rest of your life because you're still here, which means you have purpose, but it's okay to process this. It's okay to go to therapy and talk to somebody about it. That's the only way that you're going to be able to move on in a healthy way, or else it's just gonna come back and bubble up eventually, and you're just going to let it out. And for, for different people, that's a different result. That's a different experience. Um, but I, I wish in the community, we talked a lot more about mental health and we talked more, more about therapy and it, it being normal to grieve, it being normal to talk to somebody about the issues that you're enduring internally. Yes, I think it, it is very important that the people who, if you're, if you're listening, if you have the ability and the luxury of being able to invest in your mental health in that form with, 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 um, with therapy in some sort, in some way, you do that. You take that initiative and you do that because it's, it's going to affect every aspect of your life, your family, your friends, every aspect, especially at the time right now. But I'm also thinking to myself as you're talking actually about how many of us young black men probably just lost our job. Mm -hmm. Past three months. I was talking to a young brother the other day. Um, he had lost his, he was, he was, he works for FedEx, but he lost his place. Like, you don't have a place to go. And so, like, I'm holding on to some of his stuff with him, but I'm listening to his story. He's a good person, he's a good kid, but he's having to deal with working, he has to deal with his, his, his woman, trying to find some money, find a place to stay, you know, having to take care of all these things, and he doesn't have much many people to count on. I'm sure even his family's going through it too. Yeah. We don't, uh, I'm thinking that men, people who, men and women, don't do it right now because they don't have the luxury of going with therapy. Therapy seems like something that's so far away that they can think about or afford. They just have to keep going. So I, I think also within the black community, I just suppress our emotions, like to push it down. I don't think that's necessarily the teaching. It's like, hey, put that to the side because you gotta survive. You gotta live. You know, this. You know it hurts. You know it's bad. But right now, we're gonna solve it someday. You know, people are gonna be out there fighting someday. But right now, all we can think about is paying the bills. We don't have time to think about how much it hurt when you got pulled over, arrested, when they pulled you out of the car and accused you of being somebody else. You know. And so now we're at a point where it's just it's coming out uh, so violent. Volatile? Yeah, it's so volatile. It's coming out so volatile, you know, because we had it suppressed for so long that we mm -hmm. wanted to do it. So, so, what I would recommend, or what I would say, because we're not going to be able to to encourage everybody to, to get, you know, some therapy because it can be expensive, especially if you don't have a job that has insurance. Okay, so you start training your mind to, to do some push-ups, some crunches, some sit-ups, some uh, run a couple miles a day. This is going to help. This is, you might not be able to buy the, the expensive food, the expensive groceries, the, the, the organic 
um, uh, vegetables, fruits and vegetables to, to have the best uh, body that you can have and the best mind that you can have. But all these things work in tandem. So if you can, you can, you can be in your house or you can find the space to run a mile or two and, and just start making that part of your routine, taking care of yourself in that way, that's a form of self-care. And that self-care will help you feel better about yourself. That self-care will help you pull you from those, those parts of depression, those lows that you have that are so low you feel like nothing's gonna pull out pull you out of it. So you might as well just hit this couch and eat this food, eat this ice cream, eat these cookies or whatever. Instead go do some workout, go do some meditation. These are things that you you don't really need too many people around you with. But while we while we don't have each other's touch in the field, we can take these steps to to get out of those those stupids that we don't do. I just want to add, I think those are some really great tips, uh, but after speaking to uh, that expert, I think it's important that we learn to unplug. I know um, for a lot of us, 2020 and most of our lives have been, can be draining with the things that we've dealt with, with the traumas we've dealt with. But for those of us who have smartphones and have all these social media apps, it's important to unplug because there are people that I've come in contact with over the years who find themselves comparing themselves to other people. And of course, on social media, we all post our, our highs. Most of us don't post our lows. And so while you're feeling low and you're on social media, you're seeing somebody having the time of their lives because in 2020, a lot of people are having lows, but there are some people who are buying homes getting cars, getting promotions, getting married, having kids. And so they're doing well. And so just imagine if you're feeling like crap and you get on social media and you see this, you're just gonna be like, wow, like, am I get going anywhere? Is my life over? Am I done for? I, I feel like a failure. And so I think it's important to know when you need to unplug, but also have an understanding that everybody's journey is different and we all excel at a different rate. But as long as each day, um, as long as every day that comes to pass that you're doing something to move forward, you're fine. But also, it's, uh, aside from just unplugging, it's important, I think, to journal, to write down your thoughts, get them down on paper. Because sometimes we don't even realize what's going on internally until we start writing and processing and, and having to, um, um, reflect self-reflect and if you can find somebody that you trust and just communicate with that person and and don't feel like you are um dropping like heavy loads on these people or you're um, a burden to these people find people that you know that love you and people that you know that you can trust and just confide in them and li basically lift a heavy load off of yourself and talk to them about something that could possibly be bothering you they may have suggestions or um, advice as to how you can combat with your, what you're dealing with and how you can move forward in life. Yeah, absolutely, I agree with all of that. Yeah, we we need to do take these. You know, this, this is like a list. <laughs> you know, this, this yeah. is a list of things that we can be doing. You know, instead of trying to go by the status quo, um, but we're figuring it out, and we can only uh, disseminate this information by coming to platforms like this. And meeting the people, you know, with these different experiences and sharing it with others, um, and that's a form of expression. These are our forms of expression we need to express in order to heal. Um, and so we're healing just by teaching and educating and elevating. You know?
So if we're, if we're all doing this process, we all stand in this process, we're doing each other. So uh, for that, I'm appreciative. For sure, for sure. I want to I want to switch gears a bit here. Um, I'm sure you heard the news story about the two LA sheriff's deputies. They were ambushed by a lone gunman. Um, they were both shot in the head, and they're alive. I think one of the officers was released from the hospital. The other is um, still in the hospital, I, I believe, in stable condition. Uh, but the piece I want to talk about is the LA County Sheriff asked LeBron James, basketball player LeBron James, to match the $175,000 reward to help find the shooter. So as you and I know, we've talked about on this podcast, LeBron James has been outspoken. He's essentially been an activist um, for equality and um, getting rid of injustice and police brutality. And so this LA County Sheriff thought it would be wise. It, it was almost to me in like a sarcastic, smart alecky way. Oh, oh, you care about black lives? then and you're saying that you want it's like in, in the sheriff's like you want equality for all well then do something about what happened to you know these white officers and i just i just thought it was so foolish so irresponsible yeah it's so irresponsible because it's like of course lebron james he he wants equality for all but he shouldn't have to match because some lone gunman decided to open fire and wanted to execute these officers. Like, that's not fair at all. And right now, that's not LeBron James's mission. His mission is to make sure that Breonna, Breonna Taylor's people are arrested. Like, his mission is to make sure no more Ahmaud Arbery's happen. It's just like, dude, what what are you doing right now? That's your job. <laughs> yeah. Your job, why don't you do your job? and then let him do his job you know that's not your job to to ask him and criticize him and, and, and race bait him how about you shut up and you go find his killers how about you go and stop trying to feed the the hate and the anti-sentiment yeah. that everybody keeps trying to spill on both sides how about you try to fight for peace like all of us is trying to do and not try to divide with some stupid kind of you know race baiting trivial stuff like that like we're not gonna fall for we're not gonna see it like it's an inside joke we're smarter than that. <laughs> like, you, you, the audacity, <laughs> the audacity of people, you know, and to think that we just need to sit here again. I think in his mind, he's thinking, uh, shut up and dribble. Right, of course, of course, that's probably what he was saying, and just more words. Yeah, and just and this is way of saying it from the top perspective. How about mm. you just shut up and dribble, you know, and and. For me, it doesn't bring me any more more anger. It just makes me think like, yo, we just need to find a way to pass more love. Like this, these voices are elevated on purpose. You know, we gotta <laughs> understand these types of voices are elevated deliberately. The trick to combat it is to pay it no mind and to show love in spite of it. Mm-hmm. And bring about change. In spite of it, that's what really, that's what truly brings about change. That's what inspires people to change. Because we can't force people to change. We can't force people to think that we are people, that we're not monkeys. You know, we can think for ourselves and we're not a monolith either. We can, we're individuals with our own experiences. You know, it doesn't, it, 
So I, I don't know, man. I, <laughs> I think just a little bit of love. Um, maybe I'm foolish. Maybe I'm just an idealist. But a little bit of love combats this hate. A little bit of love goes a long way. And you're right. I mean, as soon as I, I saw that tweet, I was just like, what is really going on here? Like, this absolutely makes no sense. But you're right. I, it, it seemed like it was there basically to continue to create divide because it was truly unnecessary, truly. LeBron James had nothing to do with that. It, it was just out of spite. Um, and to make LeBron James look bad and to make essentially, I guess, the Black Lives Matter movement look bad and all of the celebrities who are protesting and wanting justice to be served. Um, so- and how much are you getting paid to say stuff like this? Yeah, it makes you wonder. Because it, it's just ridiculous. It's like, who is sitting at home thinking about, all right, how can I stare the pot today? Like, what can I do to make the lives of Americans a little more miserable? What can I do to piss people off today? Like, that's what it seems like people are doing. And it's really just out of hand. Really quickly, though, Hero, I want to, um, since we were talking a little bit about Breonna Taylor, who's, you know, the cops involved still haven't been arrested, I want to highlight this week the family uh they had they sued the city and they won a 12 million dollar wrongful death lawsuit and it was like all right i i guess i think that's okay i mean glad that they won something but at the end of the day brianna taylor is still dead and real justice hasn't been served that's great you know the family became millionaires overnight but at the expense of Brianna's life. And, and it just makes you wonder, it's like, okay, so if this is a wrongful death lawsuit, they won, Brianna didn't kill herself. And so like, yeah. who's gonna be held responsible for this? Like if you guys shoveled out that much money, clearly somebody was wrong. Like, right what's the holdup? and apparently a grand jury is still investigating but dude it's been it's been months it has been months and i wonder are they waiting for us to forget are they i i don't i i can't even come up with an excuse i just don't get it i think maybe one of the issues is that we're we've been conditioned a little bit too much to think about people's pockets it's really none of our business mm. with with how much money they got because the right. issue still stands the, the, like I said, what gets elevated is on purpose. It's simply there to be a distraction, right? We don't need to know how much money they got because it doesn't change the fact that the police and the people who murdered her are still walking about. And right. Yeah, you know, so as long as people are talking about how much money they, they, these people got, because um, CNN brought it up or because MSNBC brought it up, <laughs> you know, that's the trick, you know. Well, they got some money, you know. <laughs> worry about that, they got some money. Yeah, they got some money, that's great for them. That doesn't mean that it's not going to happen to somebody else. And so I'm glad they got money, that's good for them. You know, I hope they get some more. I hope that money keeps flipping and flipping. I hope they turn into a nice guy. <laughs> And have generational wealth. <laughs> yeah, and have generational wealth. Keep passing that on. I'm glad. I'm happy for it. Right. Wonderful. But you still got people roaming in the streets that shouldn't be. So we want to. Amen. You know what I mean? We're gonna deal with this and let those people have their peace um, as much as they want. It's so funny because there are people like you and me who are not satisfied with this and 
Breonna Taylor, we're not related to her. We don't even know Breonna Taylor. We only know her because she was the headline. Um, but she does affect us. Her life affects us, and it should affect everybody in this country, to be honest. Um, but there was somebody, I, I wish I had the tweet on me, but he was like, all right, you gave us like a Vibe magazine. We got a hashtag, we got now the lawsuit. You gave us, you know, uh, a documentary about her, but that's still not justice. That's pacifying the situation, or just like taking down the Confederate statues or renaming um, some of these buildings at schools at like a Georgetown University or renaming cities. It's just like, okay, that that's... <laughs> Right. How many times have they done? They think we forget. They, yeah, we kind of forgot because we was working, paying those bills. But guess what? <laughs> we are. We're done. Right. We're not doing that anymore. We are glued. Right. Just going down the list. Oh, you remember that one? Oh, yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, yeah, I remember that one too. We going down the list, remembering every kind of injustice. That we got time today. <laughs> time. We got so much time, and there's so much injustice that you gave. It ain't over. So we right. had to fight, we had to talk about it, we had to say, remind each other, yo, they did say they was going to give us that 100 million three years ago. Oh yeah, they said they was going to give me that 20 million 10 years ago too. I remember that. They was going to invest in the community. They ain't never did that shit, you know? So we remember it. We, we, we are remembering it. Right. No other time in our history. And so I hope they don't think we're going to forget this one too. Oh, because we won't. We will never forget. But we're going to take a quick break. We will be right back with more after this. Hey there, welcome back to Speak Free. I'm Ashley Banks and I'm here with Mr. Hero Vincent. All right, it is your time to shine. It's the ninth anniversary of Occupy Wall Street, of course, where people protested using the slogan, we are the 99%. A slogan that could still be chanted today. Now, you're from New York. You're, you are a New Yorker. I want you to just tell us about your experience being there in 2011 and participating in Occupy Wall Street. A lot of us that are probably listening to this podcast and myself, had, we were not in New York during Occupy Wall Street. I was in Baltimore. I was a junior at Morgan State University, and uh, I really wasn't paying that much attention to what was going on with Occupy Wall Street, and I feel really bad for being so ignorant during that time. You just tell us about your experience, because that, it was such a big deal. Well, first of all, you weren't ignorant during that time. I mean, we, what we were doing was kind of underground, you know? I was mm -hmm. in a life where I had experienced a lot of different forms of the economic strife that most people like me get um, mm. and because of that they give me a sense of awareness that I think most people around me didn't even have so mm. um, you are not in a space by yourself you know you're just living your life and you're making me feel so much better thank you so much for that <laughs> that's first of all second of all and yeah because of of that economic strife that I faced you know, I was I was involved in, in wanting to have conversations or, or searching for conversations with people about how we can actually affect these things in positive ways. And you know, I had came across a lot of anonymous videos at the time, and uh, you know, we obviously put out a call to gather on September 17, 2011, uh, up in Zipati Park and or by the boat. And I was down 
North Carolina at the time. And I thought to myself, no, I don't really, I don't know about protesting and stuff like that, but, you know, we gotta do something. Because I had just come from out of foreclosure, I had been homeless. Wow. I was going to school. I couldn't, we couldn't afford for me to go to school because I didn't, I lost out on the basketball scholarship my last year. Cheers. Hmm. Yeah, so it was, it was about music for me. And I thought, you know, we'll just let my little sister go because we can probably afford that. Because she's going to be 20000 at least in that her first year. And that's, wow. you know, so now I'm, I'm forced to ask questions of why is it that we, in order to educate herself, in order to, for, for us to be on top or to, to live a, a peaceful life or a free life, we have to go through so much. Why is that? Why do we have to see so much? We have to overcome all moving around, being in debt thousands and thousands of dollars before we can even start our lives. Yeah. You know, we have to go through all these things. And so it was about learning. It was about learning where these things come from, where these ailments of society come from. And, and where do they come from? Exactly. And so I, I, I made it to Occupy. I made it. I was the first person there. And I just watched it grow because we had all these conversations happening, all these people from different from different spaces of, of uh, the, the country having the same feeling, going through, having different experiences, but having the same feeling. Like, why am I going through this? Why am I, why did my family lose their farm, uh, you know, during this economic crisis? Why did the banks get bailed out and we didn't get anything? You know, that doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, everybody, the amount of money that you gave for all these corporations, all these banks, everybody in the country could have had a check for $250,000. That seems like something's wrong because I know I would have spent that money. <laughs> <laughs> that money would have been right back into the economy. <laughs> you know, so it, I don't see how it makes more sense to, to give the rich people more, more money when, you know, they've already messed it up for the rest of us. So mm -hmm. that conversation was needed to had needs been had at the time and it was it was it was it was immensely craved amongst the masses of people because all of us were feeling this economic strike in different ways and so i think a lot of the time what happened was occupied afterwards occupied the narrative of occupy got commandeered by media uh, or um, uh, mainstream just to say that uh we were just hippies and, and, and college kids that didn't really have nothing that we were trying to say. What's the message? You know, all the time was, what's the message? What's the message? What are you trying to say? We're trying to say that something's wrong and we don't know. We need to talk about it. Y'all did something. So we're trying to work it out. We're trying to problem solve you. We're trying to bring But that was their way of trying to oppress you guys and keep you down because if you guys could be heard and people could see past the fact that you guys weren't hippies but that you guys were educated people that actually had something to say that people might actually listen to you. Right, yeah. and, that's, and you know, that was the thing. I think that's why Occupy became this wildfire around the country to around the world because we did have something to say because anybody who actually listened to our, our live stream feeds or the things that came from the actual organizer mouth, they would realize that, oh, if there's something wrong. There's a discrepancy in the reporting from mainstream and uh, from what's happening there on the ground. I, I'm not seeing hippies, I'm not seeing, I'm seeing people who are actually going through some things and who own businesses and lost businesses and, and are in debt from school and lost family members to suicide because they couldn't afford the medical bills. You know, we, this is, these are real stories and, and we all know people or somebody who has had a similar story. And so 
what I think the issue was is that, you know, those in power knew that if we could come together and all realize that we were going through, <laughs> we weren't going through like these separate issues, we could actually, if we talked about it, point the finger at the real problem, the real enemy, and that would be them, that would have been them, we would be in a different space, you know, and that's what's going on, I think, right now as well. You know, we have the time to talk about this. You want to do that too? Oh, you lost your house too? Wait a second, I can't pay for my business to rent this year, this month? Oh, you can't either? What? You're supposed to back us out, bail us out. Oh, wait, so it's that guy over there. That's who is taking all of our money. That's the people who are neglecting all their responsibilities that we put them there for in the first place. Out the seat. <laughs> Come on, get out the seat. Get out, you try, get out the seat. You fail. That's, that's, I mean, that's deep what was going on in Occupy. Like you said, there was a large group of people, uh, an uprising in a sense, where you guys were just fed up with the system, fed up with what was taking place. And it just makes you wonder when it comes to the one percenters or the powers that be, how long, um, not how long, I wonder what they think of the 99%. I wonder what goes through their minds. Do they believe that they can keep you guys quiet? They can keep you happy enough where you don't, um, uh, I guess in a way, do what you did when it came to Occupy, because obviously we haven't seen an Occupy like we did um, back in 2011. We, we see protests here and there, being in DC, there are a lot of people who spend their time protesting against the establishment, but not in the way in which people did occupy it. It was so much so that you guys were seriously committed to trying to bring about change, that you were extremely tired of what was taking place. But it just seems like the one percenters in the government are just so satisfied with what's going on in their lives, right? They're satisfied with how they're benefiting. It just makes me wonder how they can sit comfortably and believe that people won't, in a sense, revolt against what's taking place because everyone has a breaking point. There's only but so much that you can take. And those of you who were protesting, you guys weren't your average Joes. You know, you guys were people who actually read and study. Um, you have goals. There are things that you were trying to accomplish, things that you were working towards people in a sense who were woke, right? So it's just, to me, it just boggles my mind that the government or one percenters believe that Americans are just asleep and you guys will just go with whatever they tell you to do or tell you, for example, go to school and when you graduate, you'll have that career. And we all know that's not true. We all know we won't get that job essentially always that will pay for that debt that that we um, incurred while we were in college. Uh, but some of us have bought that, <laughs> that, um, that lie, but a lot of us are awake and a lot of us know that that's not true. But it, it, it just boggles my mind that the government and the one percenters can just sit comfortably believing that there won't be any uprising of any kind or would have been shocked that Wall Street, Occupy Wall Street took place. Well, you know, uh, you know, I find myself very blessed because it is already written that it's easier for a camel to walk through an island needle than for a rich man to walk through the gates of heaven. Mm -hmm. So I've had enough money. I've never been rich, but I've had enough money. And I've been poor. And I know that, I know now that money can't be my motivation for happiness. 
money doesn't solve anything. Money's not a tool for me to find joy and have peace. It's really the journey that I have of discovering myself and my abilities and how to best be in service to others. Now, with that said, I can understand why it says that. Because when you have so much money where you can... I sit on my roof almost five times a week and I watch the helicopters go from one building to the next or fly on top of a building and go somewhere else into the city or the world or wherever it's going. And it just keep coming. These different buildings, helicopters flying all around. And I think to myself, you know, there's a pandemic outside. There's got to be all these rich people to buy a taxi copter. Copters. I was gonna say Uber copters, Uber helicopters, yeah. Uber copters. This is how this is their life. They're right. so far removed from reality. They just fly from one place to the next. We don't. We can't even fathom having that luxury. We can't even fathom having that luxury. I mean, people can't even afford cars, let alone a helicopter. Strawberries. It's worth the eight dollars a box. See, that that's too much. But yeah, it's ridiculous. So for them to have this this perception of life where they're so grand that they can fly. I mean, you, you really think they're going to have this connection to people, to the people that work for them on the in their in their factories? They don't care. They're they're so out of touch that they don't care. They don't even see it. We're just ones and twos. We're just right. ones and twos. And it's unfortunate, you know, I feel bad not just for us but for them as well because they have so much that they, they can't taste the beauty of going through something and making it through it. They can't taste the beauty of of, of having something for the first time that you worked so hard for and struggled to get there for. I have so I have so much sympathy for them that they won't experience this that kind of beauty because they don't have the opportunity to appreciate the struggle. They don't go through nothing. <laughs> they don't. Right. But I would expect right. It doesn't matter. They're they're doing fine. Um but I don't know, if I were a one percenter, I would expect Occupy to have taken place. I would expect that one day uh, the Americans, right, 99 percenters, uh, would come to the realization that they were getting the short end of the stick on purpose. Be smart. <laughs> that means you're I would. I, I would expect someone. I would expect an uprising, but they don't. They, they expect people who don't have money, people who, um, I guess don't come from what they come from to not be thinkers, to not be able to process things, um, which is so unfortunate. But of course, when you don't have money, sometimes you learn that you have to work 20 times harder and you have to be smarter and um, just know how to process things a lot quicker than somebody who has that opportunity, there's a silver spoon in their mouth. Um, but of course they wouldn't know that because they haven't had to experience it. And I know it's so funny, I, I taught um, elementary and middle school kids in Baltimore last year, right before the pandemic hit. And having conversations with my elementary middle school kids, I felt like I was talking to college students. And it was just so crazy. I was just like, wow, these kids don't have the resources that the kids I grew up with had um, in the county. But that's these kids are just as smart, if not even smarter, because they have to fend for themselves because they know they have to work harder. Um, and it was just it was just interesting to me because I was just like, wow, these kids are much smarter than the people 
that I went to school with who were afforded the resources, who come from middle class backgrounds, their parents are also rich. They own the Dunkin' Donuts on every corner, the McDonald's franchise, and so on. And they don't have to work hard. Everything is given to them. But for the people that things aren't given to, you have more of an appreciation of life, but you also know what's happening around you. You're more awake than somebody who didn't have to struggle. Um, so I, I don't know, I just find that really fascinating, very interesting. Uh, but you're right, the one percenters would not, they, it, that wouldn't be something on their mind where they would be thinking, yeah, that the average person is over here like, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, I was promised this piece of the American pie and I haven't gotten it. Why is this, why is this um, taking place? And so I, I mean, yeah. This is hence too why probably why probably we're in this situation now because we expected them to expect us to come out and be mad and upset if if they didn't get it right. So it's almost like on us, you know, we expected something of them that we shouldn't have. We should have just been like, uh, we need to make sure that we properly put uh, the, the right people in place, and they expected that you know they're not going to do nothing. We're just going to keep feeding them, uh, you know, a couple dollars here a day, you know make sure they suffer in the pandemic. So in my opinion, I think Occupy brought the awareness that these people didn't care the most. Um, that was really our, um, that was really our accomplishment, I would say, is that we, were, we had the ability to, to spark conversations that we haven't had in a long time. And to bring awareness to things that we haven't, we haven't understood in a long time. And so that in itself, yeah, it takes time to, to build that message, it takes time to, to really see significant changes. It wasn't gonna come like the next day after Occupy ends or something like that. Um, it's gonna take time, it's gonna take a massive amount of, of social work and community work, and community organizing. And you know, now we had the age of Bernie um, that stemmed out of the, those conversations that we had 10 years ago, um, talking mm -hmm. about Medicare for all, talking about you know, um, uh, free tuition, you know, canceling student loan debt. We have those conversations now because we we were brave enough to stand up and have those conversations uh, as to what was the reason why we were suffering so much uh, back then. So I think that's good. I, I think with your participation, the participation of many others during Occupy Wall Street, it, it just shows the power um, that the people have. It, it shows that we're not just sheep. <laughs> we are people with brains. We're people with influence. And if we sit quiet, nothing's going to change. But if we collectively come together like we are during this time, like you said, it's COVID. A lot of us are social distancing and we're having to pay attention to the issues of this country and we've come together to speak up and we have seen some changes. There's, we've got a long way to go, but we've seen some change take place and that comes from being unified. And that comes from speaking up and knowing the power that we have. I want us to talk about something that took place earlier this week that really kind of like I don't want to say pissed me off but upset me and it deals with Trump and obviously things he does it upsets me and a lot of people quite often yeah of course naturally naturally Trump is just going to rub us the wrong way but anyway uh, so he was um, holding an indoor rally near Las Vegas and so 
Which is so weird. He's holding a campaign rally in the middle of tragedy that's taking place, and, and he's using his energy to campaign for a second term, and which he's hoping that will turn into a third term for him, um, which is another story. But he held a campaign rally against the governor's wishes, against the medical experts who said that if you hold this indoor rally, it's inevitable that people will die because coronavirus is still a thing and it, it's still there in the state. And um, and so the governor said, if you hold this rally, you're, you're gonna be, you know, Trump, you're a selfish person and you're reckless. And he did it anyway and told the governor he needed to open up the state because why not? And so, um, it was mandated that only 50 people could be in this facility where the rally was being held. But of course, Trump defied that and he ha had thousands of people there. And so it was so interesting to me. Um, I, I asked, I, I created this video and placed on YouTube basically saying, I don't know why people were alarmed essentially that Trump decided to hold this rally. And I don't know why experts and governors want to continue to tell him no and, and and tell him, you know, to caution him against doing things. Because I mean, Trump's gonna do what he wants to do anyway. But also we saw what happened in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where his buddy Herman Cain caught COVID and then was hospitalized for a month and then died from COVID. But that still didn't matter to Trump. That, that had no bearing on Trump. So it's like, if somebody who was like Trump's friend died from COVID because he attended one of his rallies, what makes medical experts and governors and whoever else think that Trump's not going to stop campaigning? Like, we have to realize that campaigning is the most important thing to Trump. Holding power is the most important thing to Trump. And that's why it just goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning, that Trump is baby Putin. Putin won his election, I think it was this year or earlier this year where I think he's going to be holding his term for another like 30 plus years. So it's just like, he is baby Putin. Trump has already said if he gets a second term, he's gonna work on finding a way to remain in the office for a third term. And his buddy Roger Stone said at a rally on Saturday that um, if Trump does not win, he was like, Trump, if you don't win this election, then you need to declare martial law to seize power over the nation. <laughs> Like this is some scary stuff and it's just unfortunate that people aren't taking it seriously. Um, and of course, legally, he, right. I mean, legally he can't do the things that he's saying, but what does legality, what does laws or anything have to do with Trump? Trump doesn't care about laws. Trump, Trump is the law, like to him, he is the law and whatever he wants and says goes. You know, you say it's Trump too, you know, I, I see it, I get it, you know, Trump is, is, is bad, but it's also everybody else too, you know, I see, I've been arrested by white cops, cops, I've been arrested by black cops, I've been arrested by Asian cops, uh, they're all just cops, doing their job and saying that this is, you know, I, if I'm doing my, my, if I'm abiding by the law, I shouldn't end up in bad positions or bad situations. But what I've noticed is that it doesn't matter what kind of cop you are, you're still a cop, and it doesn't. you think you make the laws. It doesn't matter what the Constitution says, it doesn't matter what my rights are, my right to speak free, my, my right to freedom of press, it doesn't matter what that is. You know, uh, you have a very, they have a very uh, loose relationship with, <laughs> with the Constitution, what's the law, what's legal. So 
I don't take any type of cruise, but I got a question. What do you? How, well, it just baffles me that this can get people can get away with stuff like this. Like, what do you think is going on that you know you can you can just say whatever you want to say, do whatever you want to do, and have and still be in the seat? I don't know. He has something over the people around him. He has something over his base. Um, but nobody's really holding him accountable except for the left, and I hate that it's political because. I keep having this conversation with Trump supporters. I'm like, so, like, they'll try and critique me if I'm critiquing Trump. And they'll say, you know, your side. And I'm like, my side? So you think I'm a Democrat because I'm cr criticizing Trump? You think that I'm a Biden supporter because I'm criticizing Trump? And I correct them and I tell them I'm not a Biden supporter. And I said that if Biden was saying half of the things, half of the things that Trump was saying, I'd be criticizing him too. But right now, this is Trump's America, and Trump needs to be held accountable. And I think the thing that people have lost sight of is that uh, journalists are the fourth estate. Journalists are the the government's watchdog, essentially. If the government does something wrong, we're supposed to call them out on it. We're not supposed to sit here idle and be like, okay, well, it's the government and uh, they rule all. No, we're supposed to watch out for the American people and let you know that the government's lying. Let you be transparent with you about what's taking place. But Trump has gotten ahead of that and told his base and America that news people are fake news. So anytime news people say anything that's factual, it's already dismissed because Trump has said that more than enough times to the point where people don't trust the media. And yes, there are some media companies that really don't have Americans' um, best interests at heart. We all know this. But there are some journalists and some media companies that care, that are really giving you the information you need to know, but it's being ignored because Trump has made it that way. He's made it so that news companies just aren't credible. People don't take journalists seriously anymore, and journalists are targeted where we're covering certain things or we're in the field or, or just broadcasting information, and it's sad. But Trump has made it so that he is, in a way, he's a dictator. Um, and he appeals to his base, and he's not your stereotypical politician, right, um, that we're used to having, uh, where we know politicians get over on us all the time. And so he's like your average person. Well, he's not average because, you know, he has millions. But um, it, it's... That was the lie. That was the lie that they told us. But the reason why he can just say whatever he wants to is because he has power and it just seems like the people around him either support what he's saying are afraid of him or know that if they speak out that nothing will change i don't know how many times i have seen journalists or people i know debating or speaking out about trump or speaking out about the nonsense that's going on in this country it doesn't even have to be about trump it's simply about the numbers with COVID or injustice and there are groups of people who literally will give you Trump's talking points or give you talking points of racist, where it's just like, no, you know, racism isn't a thing. This stuff isn't a thing. It, it, it just seems like half of the country is oblivious to what's going on and will believe anything Trump says. And the other half of the country is well aware, but it just seems like what that half of the country is saying, it still doesn't matter for some reason. It still doesn't hold weight. And they're looked at as being the perpetrators and the causes of racism when all they're doing is bringing light to what's taking place. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I always heard it when I was a kid and I'm, I'm 
I'm blessed to remember it now as to how it is related to the rest of my life. Even if my mentality is stand for something or you fall for anything. And I see now how pertinent that statement was or that phrase was to the world. Like, there's so many people who, who don't stand for anything, who don't, who don't stand for truth, who don't stand for love, and who just stand for themselves. And so they fall for any lie that's given to them. The, the lie that people care, the lie that um, when, when they don't, the lie that um, you can vote and you'll make a difference or a change, um, the lie that this person is different than the last. <laughs> Right. <laughs> you know, uh, because we don't take the time to actually um, know what our principles and our values should be and educate each other on what they should be, whereas how as people we should live together and, and be in unity and unite. And so we allow people who are so divisive and, and so um, volatile and violent and uh, evil to have power and to, to inflict such pain on so many people. I mean, I listened to the tape with him in, in Woodward, mm -hmm. you know, him saying that he knew. Of course he knew. <laughs> like, why was it in anybody's mind that he didn't know? He didn't know. Like, how, he's the president of the United States of America. Like, he knows. You, I've been inside it since February. I knew. <laughs> I mean, I had it. And so I knew, right? <laughs> like, this is, you know, for to, to really be honest, like, yo, when China shut down, you know, we all should have asked the question. Like, what shut going down on? a whole country? <laughs> right. <laughs> what? What? Wait a second. Something's wrong over here. Right. They, they don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's not normal. Not What's going on? <laughs> oh, you shut down China. That should not work. They can travel to Thailand. What, what's wrong with you? Like, <laughs> right. Go other places all around the world. This all right. is easy, easy math. So of course he knew. Somebody like me who doesn't have did, who did not go to John Hopkins University, who did not go to Yale or Harvard, and I do not have a degree in, in um, epidemiology. He has a whole agency. He has three of them. <laughs> he has three intelligence agencies created to give him this information. Long. <laughs> So right. back in February, they knew like in November or something like that. Though. Right. So we have to really ask ourselves, what are we doing? Because to me, this is what's frustrating. Like knowing that I can sit here myself and I'm, I don't consider myself to be a genius or anything. I know that I have uh, created exceptionalities, but... Yeah, you're pretty smart. Or whatever. <laughs> you know, I know that they could see it. So mm -hmm. what are we doing that we know that these people are out here ignoring the tactics and the steps needed to take to keep us safe and protect us when we put them in that position to do that? What are we doing now? What is our next choice? Why are we sitting at home? I understand we need to figure it out. We need to talk about it. Everybody needs to come to this table real quick. Right? Like real quick, because we got like six weeks and five days to get this together. So <laughs> Exponentially. It's coming exponentially faster. And even, I don't, to be honest with you, I'm not even sure about an election. Who cares about an election? Because both of them, we are, I, I hear the conversation more and more every day in the mainstream or what we call mainstream now because everything's on YouTube and, and, and Instagram and email. The mainstream, all of us know that something is wrong with Biden <laughs> and his brain. Right. Trump can't get it done. Right. <laughs> so all of us know this. What are we going to do?
What are we going to do? Are we going to allow them to go and have another chair, another seat at the table? Or are we going to take it upon ourselves to start having real discussions about alternatives? And that is, that's the question. We're going to have to leave it there, hero. This ends our podcast for today and in Speak Free. I'm Ashley Banks. I'm here with... Awesome hero. I um, just want to say thank you so much. I'm so glad we were able to have another successful show. And um, guys, if you have any questions, concerns, comments, please hit us up on social media. Once again, my name is Ashley Banks. Be sure to follow me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at Ashley, A-S-H-L-E-E-M Banks. And you can follow hero at the rebel the underscore rebel underscore vincent at on instagram or the black movement make sure you donate to our venmo if you're interested in watching our panels and seeing how we're investing into our own community um you can donate to the black caucus at black caucus movement um we thank you for for listening and have a wonderful and blessed time we will be reunited next week yes we will peace Bless.